daughter there praise his name and there is a content and trigger warning this interview explores issues around artistic musical and satirical themes that may trigger listeners or cause offense well we um are a satanic gospel rock and roll 10 piece we i guess it's like uh satanism for me is is about uh an anti-authoritarian kind of uh, position. <laughs> um, the album that we're writing and well, that that's written that we're recording now, a couple of singles that have come out. Um, it's about, uh, it kind of tells the story of Satan and it kind of is in the, in the way that a, a, a religious text has a bit of um, preaching and a bit of storytelling. So that's what the album's like. And then the shows are um, when we play live, the shows are um, like a, a musical version of a satanic church service with rituals and a lot of silliness. It's, it's tongue-in-cheek in a, in a certain way and then also kind of serious in, a, in another way, um, that we're serious about the issues that we talk about, but um, it's done in a very silly way. We, we all really enjoy silliness and playing. Yeah. How'd you end up in a 10-piece satanic band? Um, well, it was it was a different kind of band a few years ago, for sure. It was uh, it was more like a grimy kind of blues rock thing, and um, very gloomy, and um, that was a five piece. So, I guess I just at a certain point decided I wanted wanted a band. I just asked around to all my friends and saw who played an instrument and who was who was willing to play with me, and we formed this much smaller band. And then, I guess I came up with this concept of having um like the gospel element for satanic material and that required having like a lot more members um brass a lot of singers um and yeah so i just kind of i don't know at a certain point i felt like music was too hard and i almost gave up because it's so hard to wrangle musicians it's kind of like herding cats or herding four-year-olds into doing what what you want them to do you know and um a lot of the time that can become really really frustrating so i almost was at the point where i gave up and i was trying to figure out ways to do it more easily and then i took a little break and then i realized actually i just would prefer to try and make music the absolute the, the exact way i want to with as many members as i can get in there and accept that it's going to be difficult and and just roll with that anyway, you know. It sounds so exciting. What I love about it is some people must take it seriously and get really offended. Uh, how do you manage all that? It actually hasn't happened. We've we've been I've I've always kind of secretly hoped that there would be some religious organization that would come and pick at one of our shows, but it hasn't hasn't happened yet. Um, so we'll see what the future holds. I guess for that, it sounds quite political, especially the anti-authoritarian side of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess like 
part of why I wanted to do it was because I have all these things that I find um, really important to talk about. And if you have even a small indie band sized platform, um, it feels like I want to be able to talk about um, trans issues and race and inclusivity and all these different things. But it's really hard to to do that in a way that isn't twee and earnest, too overly earnest. And um, so I found the the Satanism um, angle a really good way to be political, but also be like kind of dark and twisted and weird and playful, you know. It's so good you want to highlight trans issues. It's really cool that you're kind of intertwining that in the genre that you are. Uh, tell us about the trans issues that you want to highlight. Well, just in general, like uh, with um, the way that, that Satanism um, is, the, the way that Satanism works, I guess, in, in modern times is, is that it's about, um, for me at least, the, the idea of um, Satan um, is that he's this misunderstood, vilified character and that it's the the normal guy that, um, <laughs> that God is the, the normal one that's the mainstream one, that the one that's in charge. And it's the, it's the, the downtrodden and the, and the different and the weird that's the, that's, that's always, um, advertised or explained or described as being the issue, the problem in society. And so we talk about a lot of different issues on stage about, um, who, who is accepted by the mainstream, who is vilified and trying to turn that around. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's, it's like we're moving towards a place where, um, queer, queerness and homosexuality is more kind of becoming more of an acceptable thing, but, but trans, um, rights and trans issues are still, in this, in the shadows almost, and it's still like a lot of people who aren't coming into contact with trans people are are not um, are not very accepting of that. It feels it feels like it's too hard for people to accept that that aren't being exposed to it. It's still in this place of that's that's strange and that's odd and that's wrong. Um, and just being able to talk about it, um, like it's a normal thing and it's a beautiful thing. And it's, there's, there's humans of all, of all sorts that exist in this world, you know? So there's a real anarchist side, queer anarchist side to your work. It's certainly anti-authoritarianism. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like, um, I guess that's what drew me to the subject matter growing up with, uh, I grew up somewhat religious when I was younger and then my parents stopped going to church um so I had and and then just like living in in this world that's entirely saturated by um Christianity and the the Abrahamic religions is the this idea of the the authority of um God and that and that trickles down into politics society and etc that being this figure that's um that you're meant to trust this this these these authority figures but they're but they're nefarious 
they don't have your best interests at heart a lot of the time. The, the government doesn't have your best interests at heart all the time. Um, a lot of the time, they're just trying to control the population or make it easier to govern. And I think that that makes sense in a way. Why, <laughs> why make it harder for you to govern? But at the same time, that authority is trying to convince you that they're doing this for you, that you're... That, that, that all these choices that are being made are being made for you and to make your life better. Um, but they aren't, really. A lot of the time, governments are trying to serve their own interests. And that's what God does. God says that he's, you know, that we're all his children and that, and that there, is a, there is a mission to... to um, uh, to work in um, areas of love and peace and harmony and and serving serving my children and all of this this kind of language, but if you read the Bible, it doesn't not like that a lot. God's an angry, awful guy who's really hateful in a lot of ways towards his so-called children. So there's a correlation between um, God in as as in the Christian God and authoritarian figures in society. And it's so interesting because, of course, we're living in, in very authoritarian times, but also times that are influenced uh, by right-wing authoritarian Christian evangelicalism, if you like. And uh, we're really seeing that in politics in Australia to some degree. Uh, the Religious Discrimination Bill, for example, uh, you know, has, has those elements to it. Uh, it sounds like you're a real antidote to all of that. <laughs> I hope so. If we can, if we if we have the ability to, I mean, it's really it was really inspiring um, watching uh, the satanic movement happen in the United States because that was all about that that kind of stuff that you just mentioned uh, about um, a reaction directly to um, what's happening in um, laws and. Uh, and, and just doctrine in society about uh, including um, religion into daily lives, re- including religion into secular places. And the reason that they started using Satanism to combat that was because if you if you register as a religion as a, a religious organization, so the Satanic Temple in the United States is a registered religious organization. And then the laws that are being passed that give Christian groups and churches so many rights to do all these things that are quite problematic um, also apply to those people. So there was uh, a case where um, there were um, these big monuments to the to the Ten Commandments outside of what should what should be um, presented as secular institutions of law. And the laws that allowed them to erect these uh, statues of the Ten Commandments also protected this, the Satanic Temple from being able to then erect a, a enormous twelve-foot brass statue of a demon god next to it. <laughs> and um, I just thought that was so wild and hilarious and fantastic. And yeah, I guess like that as as those laws start to get made here, it's possible to do the same things here so the religious discrimination bill which is actually really a bill about protecting christians from having their 
their content uh, censored out of secular institutions. Um, that means that satanic co content can also be uh, presented in the, in the same exact ways that the Christian content is. And I think that that's a really hilarious way of combating uh, that issue. So what did you tick or what did you put down for, for religion on the recent census? I put down no religion because um, I've read some articles and some friends talk to me about uh, the idea that in this census, potentially, from what I understand, this, this, this is secondhand information, I'll, I'll give you that caveat, but um, the, uh, the, what I heard was that if you put anything down other than no religion, they're going to use that as uh, statistical data to fund religious organizations. Because anything, including atheism, which is, which is really wild to me, that if you put down atheism or you put down Jedi, pirate, Satanist, um, any number of strange things other than no religion, that that statistical data then gets used to, to say, well, there's this many people that are religious. So then that means we can put this amount of money into religious organizations and funding religious organizations because that's representational of the amount of people in the population that are religious. Um, so I hope I made the right choice there. You're listening to an interview with Dame Blacklock from Dame Blacklock and the Preacher's Daughter on 3CRs in your face. 3CR. I can't wait to catch one of your live shows. And of course, we don't know when that's going to happen, you know, when restrictions are going to ease. But uh, it sounds like, you know, you really work the crowd when you perform. There must be quite an energy on stage with 10 of you. Can you tell us a bit about your stage energy? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, being on stage is like my favorite place to be in the universe. It's so much fun. And this band particularly is so much fun. We're all good friends and we're all like, um, have been playing music and performing in different ways for many years. And we've been playing together for many years. So there's a real comfort between us. And then it's just so much fun to to kind of craft these shows around what are the most ridiculous and fun things we can do on a stage while we're also playing this music that we really love playing with each other. And I love the satire element that you've got happening as well. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm, I'm having a great time with it. Um, I mean, it's kind of satire. It's kind of, it's kind of serious but silly in a way. I don't know if I would call it satire exactly because we are actually saying what we mean. We're just kind of doing it while dancing and with a silly expression on our face. It sounds awesome. What's happening for you guys on the recording front at the moment? Oh, well, COVID threw a huge spanner in that, that process. We've been recording um, a full-length album for, uh, I guess it's coming up on two years, maybe even longer, I guess. We had it almost done. Actually, the principal recording was almost done just before COVID started. And then it's just been, um, you know, just like so many delays since then of, of okay, we've, we've organized a bunch of recording dates and it's hard because we have to get, for, for what we're trying to do now, we're trying to get the, the big vocal harmonies in. And um, it's kind of one of the last pieces of the puzzle that is, is, is left to land. And it's the hardest one because we need to get, you know, eight people in a, in a room all together. And that's been 
really difficult to make happen um, in the last two years. And there's been gaps, but um, I feel like as a musician, like a person creating events, you, you get a momentum when those things are possible. And then when it stops happening, when the, when the lockdowns have ended each time, it's like I don't have my, – my momentum is not in the same place, so it takes a while for me to get back to the point where I can start organising things, organising shows, organising recording dates, and then there's another lockdown again. And especially with such a large amount of people in the band, it's so hard to get everybody lined up um, for, for a single day where everybody's free at the same time. So we're just, it's just an uphill battle with COVID right now to get the rest of the recording done. And it's so tantalizingly within reach and we, we just can't do it because of, because of lockdown restrictions. So you guys were so close to finishing the album and then lockdown six happened in Melbourne, yeah? Yeah, well, lockdown one happened and then one through six. <laughs> and we were, we were so close. We were... We're really still at that same level of only, uh, you know, four, probably four recording sessions, four days of recording left to go. And then the whole album would have been would have been recorded. And in this whole period of time, it could have been being mixed and mastered. But this is this is where we are. (laughs) Well, it's so exciting. I can't wait to hear your album. I'm guessing 2022. Yeah. Um, I'd love, I'd love it to be sooner, but, um, maybe it's 2025, who knows with the way things are going. Um, but hopefully as soon as, as soon as we can do it, but we're going to be having, we're going to be releasing singles. Um, we've got two singles out from that album, um, Praise His Name and Lilith are two tracks that have come out already. Um, and hopefully we can finish one or two others with what we've got already. Um, and then the rest we'll, we'll have to wait until we can record more. Fantastic. Tell us about those singles. Let's start with Lilith. Tell us about that. Lilith is a, a banging rock and roll um, anthem. It's about Lilith, who is uh, the first woman who was created by God along with Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden. And um, as the story goes... Lilith and Adam went to make love for the first time and Lilith refused to lay down beneath Adam. And Adam then complained to God, oh, that my, my girlfriend's not doing what I want her to do. Can you do something about this? So God banished Lilith from the Garden of Eden and created Eve out of Adam's rib um, so that she would be his property and under his control. and. Um, so it's really this story of, um, the, the patriarchy creating situations that are awful for women. And so Lilith being this, um, feminist hero, I guess. And, um, uh, she becomes a kind of demoness, a badass demoness that rules in a different way, um, having been rejected by the um by god and by her husband goes goes off and enjoys her independence as a as a as a demoness 
fantastic. Well, we're going to play that now on the show. Dane Blacklock, thank you so much for joining me on 3CR. Thank you so much. Have a great one.
Bridget Bardini there, Heartbreaker. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. I absolutely love your track. Tell us what it's all about. Oh, well, um, Heartbreaker is about uh, really entering adulthood and learning that um, there, there are things in your life that have become very special to you and just that fear that comes along with that, that you might lose those things. And I suppose it's um, the main message is to just embrace the moment and, and not, you know, ponder on and, and dwell on what could go wrong. I love its electronic sound. There's also a real kind of post-electronic gold frap influence going on there. Tell us who's influenced the single. Oh, well, I definitely think that gold frap would play a part in it for sure. And um, I, I remember I was listening to a bit of um, Chemical Brothers at the time, Daft Punk. So I definitely think I got a sense of that um, electronic influence through through those artists and the way that they experiment with sound as well I really wanted to to try something different to what I'm you know usually comfortable with so uh yeah it was really fun to play around and and I really love the way it turned out yeah it sounds like you really experiment with your music and kind of you know just basically play around with stuff and see what works tell us a bit about the process you went through to make the track well I suppose the process that I really went through is just, yeah, exactly like you said, experimenting and trial and error and seeing what feels right for for the track and, and how it could communicate what I want to communicate. Um, and I think that the the main kind of approach that I took was was just exactly that, trying different sounds, um, putting things together and seeing how they work and and the the layering and um, yeah, what speed works as well, like what what rhythm is really gonna complement the track best. So I really tried to get down to the, you know, everything with a fine tooth comb on on this specific track and really try and, you know, bring out a lot of confidence and strength in it as much as possible. So tell us about your journey as a musician. You sound very technically adept. Um, Well, I didn't start that way. (laughs) There's always a journey, you know, where you learn about um, the technical side of things and I I wanted to, to know about all of that. Uh, but yeah, I just really started to learn guitar. I, I'd been playing piano when I was a kid and I, I really wanted to pick up guitar at around 18, you know, when I started to delve into musicians like Jeff Buckley and PJ Harvey and um, and Beck and, and a lot of artists that just really um, use guitar in a way that I absolutely loved and I knew that it's something that I needed to learn how to play. Um, so I, yeah, practiced guitar um, started to write my own tracks and and then I, when I started to record them using very you know limited equipment I, I sometimes I would record with the room even I didn't even <laughs> use a proper like mic setup but it kind of created a nice ambience in some tracks which I like and um, yeah and, and from there I kind of just layered the tracks and realized that I wanted to compose and put arrangements in and 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 make the track um, exactly the way, you know, I felt it should be. So that that kind of naturally included the production side of it. And over time I just built upon my knowledge of how to use all the equipment, how to record instruments properly, um, what software works best for what I'm trying to create and, and hardware and all of that. So over time I really just um, learnt the best way to to make 
a track as um, as finished as possible without the use of a studio. So it sounds like you spend a lot of time, you know, during your day on music. It sounds like it's a real love for you. It's not a chore at all. It's something that you really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally in love with it. It's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I think I feel like I'll never be um, – there's always something to learn, you know, and it, you can, I was even contemplating the other day, oh, should I pick up drums? <laughs> should I learn drums? So, um, cause I've really just been getting interested in, in kind of beat making as well. So that's been really fun. And I thought it would be great to be able to play live drums on, on some tracks if I, if I could. So it's always just that, that, um, active, always learning and always adding to skill the skill set that I've I've got already and improving my ability to to be as the musician I, I suppose the musician that I wish to be in five or ten years you know you just have to put the time in and and learn yeah you sound really self-sufficient and empowered as a musician you mentioned where you want to be in five or so years tell us a bit about that place oh well I think ideally it would be obviously um, music is my, hopefully be my sole career and my sole, um, uh, well, it is now already, but I'd be living off it, you know, in a, in a, in a way where it's not, um, where I'm comfortable (laughs) financially as well. So that would be ideal, obviously, you know, to be able to make, uh, a, a great career out of something that you love and to be able to live off that. And I think it would be, you know, traveling. I'd love to explore um, touring overseas and I haven't even toured in Australia yet. So hopefully I would have done that and I would still be doing that. And uh, yeah, maybe have already released another album and it's, it's yeah, working on the third album even. <laughs> you never know. So there's a million things that could happen. But the main thing is I really just... I hope I I know that I'll be continuing to to do music and um the main goal is to just be able to make it my life and and to be able to comfortably make it my life. So tell us about the album that Heartbreak is a part of. Uh it's part of Stellar Lights which just came out yesterday which is very exciting. Um and yeah, so that the album is about um this it was built around this a very vivid apocalyptic dream that I had where um, really just the world was ending. It was coming to an end and um, I just felt, I felt everything that was happening and I could see it all so vividly. And um, it was one of those situations where you wake up and you feel different because of that experience. And I think it, it enlightened me as to how vulnerable we are as people and how rare it is that we're around uh, just sitting in the middle of this you know, ever expanding universe and this, that the kind of incredible um, gift it is that we have a life and we get to experience all these amazing things. So I think the album is really about that whole thing, embracing life and, and learning from your experiences and the whole coming of age element of, of um, when I was writing it and just, um, it's very based in in life and all the things that I was learning at that time and 
uh, and and still learn now and and even listening back to a lot of the tracks like it's they're they're all more relevant than ever to me and um, yeah so that's really special to to be able to bring that all out and see what people how people connect to the tracks. Tell us about the name Stella Lights and why you chose it. Well, I chose that name also linking back to that dream um, because I I remember looking up at the sky and, and there was the moon and I remember seeing these stars kind of crossing, shooting stars, you know, crossing against the moon and, and hitting each other and, um, you know, there, there was like a meteor shower and um, I think it was that's where I got the name because it, it was that stellar lights. It was that kind of it, it felt right because it was really reminiscent of that imagery that triggered a lot of those, you know, a lot of the decisions that I made after, you know, having had that experience. Tell us about your favourite track on stellar lights. Oh, I think my favourite track would have to be Breathe. Um, because that one was really special because it's so perfectly um, reflects and, and is like a perfect recount of this experience that I had um, with a friend of mine and that experience was just so special and um, and you can hear in the lyrics when you listen to the song, it it takes you through that whole thing. It show it tells you what I was seeing, and and you know the music is telling you how that made me feel. And it when I listened to that track with you know that friend that was there, um, it's pretty amazing because we both really connect to it and and can share where that song has come from. And and so I think that's the fact that I can relive that and gets such peace and satisfaction from it is um yeah it's really special and i i definitely think that that's one of those things that keeps me writing music because it is it allows you to to even put a time capsule to a moment or an emotion and and allows you to reflect upon that in such a beautiful way You're listening to an interview with Bridget Bardini on 3CRs in your face. Tell us how the pandemic has impacted on you as a musician and songwriter. It sounds like it's kind of enabled you to thrive a bit. Yeah, I think it has, funnily enough. Like, one thing it has impacted, I think, negatively is allowing me to obviously experiment with live performance and, and being able to to engage that side of myself um, and being able to be face-to-face with an audience. But um, luckily I got a whole bunch of rehearsals in, so I've kind of gotten a taste for that world a little bit. But um, on the other hand, it's really allowed me to absolutely like be self-sufficient and, and learn new skills and, and um, figure out how I can make my music better and, and continue to evolve um, for the best. So it's, it's really allowed me to use that time up in a way that's going to be beneficial to me long term. Any plans for music videos? Actually, not at the moment. Uh, I just released the one for Heartbreaker, and so I think that's the mo- that was the most recent venture. But um, potentially, yes, it really depends on the the demand as well. Whether we feel that it's something that 
there needs to be more videos for more tracks on the album. So right now it's just a, a time where we just wait and see how this is going to go and and where the album takes everything. Tell us about the video for Heartbreaker. Oh, well, that video really also kind of reflected that imagery of that dream that I had in the way that it's very it's very much like a dreamscape and it really creates that that world that the album is is lives in you know when I think about when I listen to even the the instrumental of Stellar Lights I see a lot of that imagery and and the what I saw in that dream and the way that I felt and um it kind of yeah it it captures that whole thing where it's it's like you're in in real life and you see a, a real world but it's also intertwined with this abstract place where you know extraordinary things happen and I think and it's kind of non-linear like when you dream you you have this sense of um things don't fully line up but they they do but they don't and it's it's hard to kind of put things puzzle these puzzle pieces together but you get sometimes you get an overall sense of what was going on in your head or you know what thought that you had that day made you have that dream that night or you know so it's that elusive concept of of a dream but also you know seeing that happen um before your eyes and also I love the the neon vibe of it I think that really worked so well with Heartbreaker so it also kind of has that sense of um using color and and all of that to complement a lot of the synth sounds in in Heartbreaker. It sounds like you're really in touch with your dream world. (laughs) I know it feels so funny you know because a lot of people say oh god nobody should tell people about their dreams you know (laughs) but this was one of those dreams that I just couldn't help but um, connect it to to the album because so much of the the imagery is exactly what you know connected to that experience um, it's one of those things that you can't really control so you have to you, when you draw those parallels and you see where things originate it's it's kind of out of your hands and um, you just have to embrace where it's taken you and the whole the whole project has been kind of that way anyway it's it's felt within my control but also out of my control because i've just had such a um need to just spill out all these tracks and and make something out of them so it's it's been very surreal to see it all come together and um yeah it's extremely special and it sounds like your self-sufficiency as a musician has meant that you haven't experienced many barriers as a young woman in the music industry. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I feel that I've been extremely lucky, actually. Um, when I was starting to bring out my first demos, um, well, when I was starting to churn them out, I mean, um, my dad had actually just met Simon Rashley, who was my manager, and he's a um, he's had a huge history in the music industry and um, is very well connected. So I I really felt from he saw the potential in those demos in the beginning, and uh, I really felt from the start I had this um, really great foundation to to feel that I was 
heard as an artist, heard as a musician and um, nobody was trying to hold me back at all. So I think, and obviously I think that, you know, you just have to, regardless of how things play out in the world, you know, how men might try and demean women and things like that, I think the important thing is is that if you believe it yourself and you know that you deserve to be there like anyone else, you just have to to block out any other um, idea that someone might try and put in your head, you know. Absolutely. It sounds like you have a wonderfully supportive family that's really nurtured you to have great self-esteem. <laughs> I, I've been very lucky and I think it's I think when it comes to um, the artistry side of things, I feel very confident because I feel that that's my strength. You know, that's the thing that that I'm good at in life, and and I so naturally I think there's a confidence there and a self esteem there, and um, you know, obviously there's always going to be things where I, I have to evolve my confidence and break down some barriers. Like I even experienced that with the the live performance stuff. You know, I was I was so nervous at the beginning, but over time with practice and all of that, I felt so much more confident. So it's also been something that I've just I've learned through this whole experience too. And um and that's helped me in so many facets of life and generally, yeah, my self-esteem and just feeling confident in myself and, and that I can you know, walk into a room full of strangers and um, be able to stand on my own two feet. Bridget Bardini, I absolutely love Heartbreaker. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. 
Marion Faithful there. Taking us out are the Sundays and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. Yeah.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs>